0: Block Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Great Iron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts. Your host, Oscar Lopez, here. We're going to have a great show today. Uh, in the no-joke football huddle, we are going to have up uh, here of the Montreal Blitz and of Football Canada. We're going to talk about the Montreal Blitz um, situation with the WFA going independent uh, in Canada and the status of the team in terms of any other leagues that they would be able to participate in. So, uh, and we're going to talk Team Canada, Two silver medals at the IFAB World Championships. So, in uh, a little bit in the show here, we'll get Tori Wilson in, inside the house here, as well as Luis Beans. and we're going to be talking about NFL uh, free agency, which doesn't start till March 14th, but we do have franchise tagging between the 20th and March 6th. So, a lot of things that we can dive into in terms of certain uh, teams out there that are looking for. Um, Receivers, cornerbacks, offensive line help. Um, you know where we're key players are going to go to. So we'll talk about that as soon as Luis gets here in about half hour. Congratulations to the Gridiron West inaugural champions, the Perth Blitz that happened this weekend. If you didn't catch it, you can catch it on our timeline on Facebook at Gridiron Beauties, and you're going to you're going to be enlightened by the game. An amazing game, both sides by the Perth Broncos as well as by the Perth Blitz. The score doesn't, uh, you know, obviously reflect all the effort in both sides. The Broncos finish at 500, 5-5, five five, while the Blitz, uh, Blitz finish undefeated with a perfect 10-0 season. We are going to be uh, talking about that, but uh, if you want the article, there's an, a great article on gridironwest.com.au it was done by Jeremy Truong. Perth Blitz have been crowned inaugural champions. Uh, MVP was Lou Devine, and so uh, Nicole Harvey out there, Tegan Brown, and the uh, Rihanna Elbrook, who was out of the game uh, with an injury but actually did participate in, in this game, and she did have about five tackles. So congratulations to the Perth Blitz out there in Gridiron um, West for their amazing uh, championship and perfect season. So uh, it's going to be pretty awesome on uh, year two. Every, uh, all of them are going to get excited now because in Australia, everybody's heading towards, right now, it's going to be heading towards the uh, Women's Australian Gridiron League tournament in May and the uh, West Western Australia Raiders, which is the, uh, the national team that competes for the state. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of the Blitz players are going to be on that team. So uh, let's bring in Troy Wilson here in the house. Uh, Troy? Uh, the Blitz perfect season in uh, the inaugural season of Gridiron West out in West Australia. So pretty awesome. I don't know if you caught a catch the game on uh, Facebook, but uh, it was a pretty good game. And, uh, you know, the Broncos fought pretty hard, but just couldn't get on the board.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, just, um, you know, with that Australian league, I mean, they, they, they really play tough out there. I mean, they really, play tough and a lot of their players, they come over here uh, to the States. And um, so we, we try to tap into their talent as much as possible. So, you know, that they're, you know, they're going to get it going. I mean, that, that, that league in itself just brings that competition. And so when you see players out there um, and they struggle in that first game, first thing is, you know, you get out of that first game jitters and you can just go on after that and you try to build on those things. And so, you know, we'll see if they can go ahead and
1: do that going forward. It's going to be a great competition because now every, every section of Australia will now feel the team. I think South Australia, I've got to, Australia is still not participating, but for the most part, every other uh, state area or regional, it's basically a regional tournament, uh, you know, Queensland, Grinna uh, Victoria, which is in season, which we'll talk about in the women's news and notes later in the hour here. But uh, for the most part, the elevation of the women's game in Australia has, is evolving to a point where uh, it is top-notch, no different than the juniors game or the senior men's games. So that's a good news for the sport there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I just I love the way that they incorporate, you know, with, with the men's uh, clubs, where they incorporate the women in there. And, you know, we, we spoke about this last week, and, you, you know, you wish it was the same thing here. And there's no reason why I shouldn't, especially with all of the you know, the resources that we have over here. So, I mean, kudos and shout-out to those guys out there um, who, you know, who really try to incorporate everyone in, into their organizations and make sure everyone gets, gets a chance to shine and, and get to play on the field.
1: Troy, we're going to be uh, talking to a Pierre Migner of the Montreal Blitz and Team Canada uh, that finished silver that won silver basically at the IFAB world championship in about 15 minutes here. But in the meantime, Troy, um, we have free agency that's pretty much started. Now your boy cousins uh, up in the air since the Redskins took Alex Smith into the, you know, into their um, area. Um, A lot of, a lot of things going on here, kind of like when RG three was, you know, leaving uh, Washington Browns Broncos Vikings, I mean, a lot of stuff going on, and and on the Vikings. Then I'm thinking, what are they going to get rid of three quarterbacks? Uh, so just a lot of a lot of things coming up here for that free agency.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, especially with uh, the, the Kirk Cousins, um, you know, uh, fiasco. I mean, because you, you just got to just call it what it is. I mean, the Redskins completely botched that that uh, that um negotiation uh, years ago. They could have signed up for much less. And instead what they decided to do was to invest, you know, forty four million over two years for a guy that apparently they, they aren't happy with, uh, which I don't really understand. Uh but look, Alex Smith there begins in Washington and um you know, you gotta if you're a Washington Redskin fan, does Alex Smith, you know, um, you know, really get, you know, that fan base energized? Maybe maybe not really. I mean, you know, that's just not what Alex Smith does. I mean, he's more of a
3: a guy that's
2: he, you know, in, in the past, he hasn't been spectacular. But in this past year, he actually had his best year. And he was about as spectacular as ever. I mean, he got a pro bowl, a bowl, but, you know, when you come here, you don't see Tyreek Hill walking around. Um, I mean, you can get a guy who is like Kelsey and Jordan Reed. Um, but, you know, from the wide receiver position and also from the running back position, Alex Smith doesn't have that cache, that cache of weapons that he had in Kansas City. And so you want to see how that operates here. With Kirk Cousins, I mean, listen, the sky's the limit with this guy. I mean, you know, it depends on who really does the rah-rah because apparently he wants to be courted, you know, according to what he said. So is it going to be the Jets? Is it going to be the Cardinals? Uh, Bruce Arians is gone, so I don't know how much of an attractive job that is. But i tell you the one place that I think would be very intriguing for Kirk Cousins, and, man, would would that be a coup for him and also this team, that would be the Minnesota Vikings? I mean, the Minnesota Vikings have – three quarterbacks right now who are free agents, and I'm not sure if they believe in any one of those guys. I mean, you know, um, uh, their head coach, he really didn't give Case Keenum, you know, that much of a you know vote of confidence throughout the year. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, he was up and coming, but even before he was injured, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't exactly lighting it up. And then, at the same time, you got Sam Bradford, who has this this injury, you know, he's injury prone, and out of all those quarterbacks, I would kind of venture to say that Kirk Cousins is the best one out of all of them, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they, would, they went after Kirk Cousins, and if they signed him, and just imagine Kirk Cousins being, you know, throwing the football how he does, and he gets the ball down the field, he also will have a running game with Dalvin Cook possibly coming back and we'll see how that happens, not to mention that top flight defense. They have on the other side of the ball, ranked number one in the NFL. Toward the end of the season, I mean, listen—if Kirk Cousins goes there, you might want to start penciling the Minnesota Vikings in as a long playoff run.
1: And you got Diggs and Thielen there as well, so you got two weapons, playmakers. It would it would kind of be wise, as you're pointing out, for Kirk Cousins to consider Minnesota highly.
2: Yeah, I mean I, I just think that would be a great fit for him. Um, you know, he, he just has everything that he you know he would want there. Another place would be would be Denver, right? Um, Denver also has a pretty good defense out there and you know, they had some injuries at the in on their defense and their offense was just not giving that defense any support. But if you put Kirk Cousins there, the weapons that they have on offense are more than adequate. Uh, to, to move the ball down the field. I just thought that they had a pretty poor quarterback play last year. And so I just think wherever Kirk Cousins goes, he's going to upgrade the position. He's going to upgrade the team. How much he upgrades them, uh, you know, we'll see. He didn't do much here with the Washington team. But at the same time, the last three years that he was the quarterback for the Washington Redskins, their defense was ranked 31st, 31st, 26. You're not winning many games if you have those type of defenses. So Kirk Cousins, he's looking on the horizon right now.
1: You know, things go well for him. Right. Are you surprised uh, at anything that's going on right now? Anything stands out for you so far in terms of just barely talks? Because nothing gets real until the 14th, and franchise tagging players is going to be the next wave, which is in, in a week from now, we're going to get franchise tagging pretty much everywhere, like it happens almost every season. Um, there's names out there that are obviously moving in free agency. we got Breeze, It's always talked about. I doubt that he's going to go anywhere. I think really he's probably going to retire as a saint no matter what. Um, You got DeMarcus Lawrence out of the Cowboys who had a a, a phenomenal year, 15 sacks. That's the guy that somebody probably would want to pick up. And then uh, we talked Kirk Cousins already, kind of the main staple there into free agency. Um, Is there anything else that stands out for you in terms of a name? I mean, Butler left New England not as a happy camper. Uh, somewhat So we'll see where he you know, Obviously ends up
2: Well um, You know the, the intriguing thing Will be that You know Some of the Not only just the free agents But some of the trades I mean akeem um, Tlaib Is rumored to be On the on the trading block He's right now Maybe getting uh, You know He's counting for 11 million You know Under the cap And I think John Elway Is a little bit Tired of the shenanigans That goes on With Aqib Tlaib which, you know, it's kind of happened any place he's gone. But you have that trade-off because he's such a great cornerback. I mean, he's literally one of the best, I would say, top three cornerbacks in the game, even after last year people thought he had a down year. I thought he actually played spectacular. Um, but, you know, he's going to be on the move. Um, some of the guys who signed one-year deals last year, Don Terry Pope, um, you know, what's going to happen with him down in Atlanta? Um, you know, so you want to see how some of these guys are going to move and shake. And, listen, I think free agency now is starting to get a uh, – it's crazy how free agency and the draft are both being valued at the same time. Typically it's one is valued over the other one. But right now it's pretty high because, listen, everyone saw what the Philadelphia Eagles did in free agency last year. Getting Alshon Sean Jeffries, um, getting Jennings out there. They, they, uh, Jay Ajayi, they picked him up in the trade. And so they saw how all of those free agents kind of fit those pieces uh, for that Philadelphia Eagles. And I really think that's what put them over the top because they got solid at, at the right positions. And they also built it. Oh, They were good for draft. him in the first round as a pass rusher, he had an impact all year long and also in the Super Bowl. And so you want to see, um, you know, how this is going to affect these teams. But going forward, they're going to put a lot of stock in free agents and seeing how they
1: fit on their roster,
2: that's the important key. And that's the hardest thing to figure out. Everyone knows their physical attributes, but how are they going to mix in with
1: the team? All right. We'll 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 dive into the free agency a little bit later uh, when we get Luis in here at about uh, another 15, 20 minutes. And then we're going to also dive into uh, the WFA schedule that came out already uh, for the season. We're talking – pretty much the new schedule that came out. There's about three or four key matchups that I'm kind of interested in. And we'll dive into this thing with youth football that apparently uh, there's a couple states trying to ban youth football under a certain age group and how that will affect obviously the popularity of the girls now looking to participate and specifically like the Utah girls tackle football, the Indiana and the Georgia. So uh, we're looking forward to see how that's going to pan out, but a lot of things going on, you know, outside the the field itself. And kind of interested to talk about that in the next segment here, but let's uh, invite everybody to Zazzle.com. Zazzle.com is our shop. It is our main source to spotlight other uh, talented athletes uh, with our apparel. And uh, so everybody that's purchased, we really appreciate you guys making the purchase, sporting it out. And if you do sport it out, i uh, send us a photo so we can share it on our social sites as well. And I want to give a, a shout-out to um, Phoebe Susser and Lo- uh, Lavi Tobar for uh, doing our uh, Snapchat takeovers this week. Uh, Lavi Tobar was actually uh, in ACL surgery uh, because of some soccer uh, injury, but she's recovering really well from what we're told, and so uh, we wish her well. And our girl Savannah Milton out of NLR football, uh, got her scholarship for soccer at Harding University. So congratulations to both of them. So uh, a lot of good news there happening for uh, us in terms of our athletes, that uh, our brand athletes. And so that's uh, pretty awesome. And we're going to go into the huddle right now, uh, the Nojo Football Huddle, sponsored by Zazzle.com. You can go to Zazzle.com, forward slash Gridiron Beauties. Use the codes daily, up to 20% off daily, and you can save some money. And if you use Zazzle Black. For about 10 bucks for the year, you get, in the States, free shipping. So if you uh, you know shop with us or shop with Zazzle, for about 10 bucks you get free shipping. You can't beat that deal. So let's go into the huddle right now with uh, Pierre Mignor, uh, head coach and director of football development for the Montreal Blitz and the silver medal-winning team, Canada. Hi, Pierre. How's it going? You're on with Oscar Lopez and Troy Wilson on the Great Iron Blitz. Thanks for making the time. Yes, good evening. How are you tonight? We're doing great. Uh, so, Pierre, I wanted to get you guys on, yourself or someone from the team, uh, because it was kind of a shocker after the 2017 season in the WFA ended, and we get the news that the Blitz, who you know went toe-to-toe with the Inferno in a neutral site, somehow we're not no longer returning to the WFA 2018. So that was a big story considering your uh, successful history with, um, you know, playoffs as well as in the IWFL, uh, the 2012 championship plus your other championships in the IWFL. So let's start there, Pierre. Let's figure out that first. Um, so where are we at in terms of the status of the Montreal blitz?
0: Well, as you just said, um the Blitz um, will not play in the WFA in 2018. Uh, In a decision that was uh, uh, taken in September, the uh, board of directors of the WFA informed us that the league no longer wanted to play games in Canada. So um, uh, in light of that decision that the board made, uh, we had no choice but to... uh, Withdraw from the WFA. Um, so that was bottom line. That's that's the uh, situation. So we're trying to. Uh, in fact, we've managed to um, schedule games for 2018 in Canada, uh, so that we can at least continue to support the development of women's football in Canada. Um, so that's that's the situation. Now, unfortunately, the, uh, um, the decision by the WFA really surprised us. Uh, we've been playing in the U.S. now since 2001. And um, uh, so for us not to be able to play in the U.S. anymore, that certainly – well, we can play in the U.S., but no U.S. teams can play in Canada, so – that, is it more of a
1: is it more of a issue with visas and all that stuff? Is it more of a government issue in terms of crossing the border and all that primarily well, like I said
0: you know we've played in the u s for fifteen years more than fifteen years, and we've had u s teams come to Canada since year one uh, unfortunately, in two thousand and seventeen uh, a team that we were playing against had uh, one issue with one customs or border agent that uh, detained six uh, members of the team, and uh, because of that, um, uh, not all of the players were able to come to Montreal and play the game. The week after that or two weeks after that, they were all able to cross. As you know, uh, border agents of complete autonomy as far as their decisions and uh, so that border agent decided that there was something uh, that um, basically warranted him from, uh, in his decision to detain them or stop them from crossing the border. Um, so as you know, uh, you know, if you have DUIs, if you have uh, uh, sure. a criminal record of any kind, then uh, they have the right to do that. Uh, both. U.S. and Canada. We've, we are facing the same situation as we crossed to the U.S. As, and, and and the Blitz you know, had to cross a minimum of four, maybe five or six times uh, per season sure. to the U.S. And we had to go through the same uh, issue every time we crossed over. We had to uh, um, face the same situation and we developed... For example, when we were crossing, we always had somebody back in Canada that could that could uh, take back any player that was prevented from crossing the border so we, we had methods of overcoming this sure now uh, the the reality of the situation is that because of the um, status of certain players uh, uh, players did not want to go through the process of having their Dossier expunged because that is something that is possible. Uh, Canadian uh, Customs Agency can uh, can have a dossier completely expunged. It's uh, I think it's $200 to get that file completely that dossier completely expunged. And but. Uh, Again, it's a decision that the U.S. teams and the players have to make. Uh, Do they want to come to Canada? And and WFA decided not to do that. So it was basically, I believe it's a monetary issue. I think it was additional costs that the teams and players did not want to incur. And uh, so uh, they made a decision based on that. It was disappointing. Uh, I think that we've managed over the years to represent Canada very well, to support the development of women's football. And um, so for us, it was certainly a, a shocker and, and uh, a decision that forced us to rethink our strategy and rethink our development and rethink the way we would uh, help the girls uh, play the sport, the sport that we all love. So it's, um, yeah, so it was a disappointment, but, you know, we've managed to get over it. And uh, so we're looking forward to this uh, 2000, um 18th season. Uh, we're going to play against uh, teams from uh, New Brunswick and teams from Ontario. And um, uh, so we hope to be in a position where we're going to be uh, creating uh, a league in eastern Canada. You know, as you know, the reason the Blitz was playing in the U.S. is, is distances. Uh, uh, where there was no teams uh, in eastern Canada. Uh, The other teams that we have in Canada are in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Alberta, um, which is way too far for us to travel to. And uh, so playing in the U.S. allowed us to, you know, play within a, you know, 10-hour drive or 12-hour drive um, distance from Montreal. So it made sense. Uh, So now we've managed to... uh, to start this embryo of a league for Eastern Canada, and the objective is to um, make sure that in 2019 we have a, even a stronger uh, schedule and a stronger um, league with more teams. So it's um, that's our challenge for 2018.
1: Pierre, you have uh, the Maritime and the WWCFL that have uh, grown in lot a lot, especially the WWCFL. Mm-hmm in the middle of Canada, they've been very instrumental in growing that game. A lot of the players, besides your team, a lot of the players on the Team Canada squad obviously came from that region. So talk about that in terms of what it means for Team Canada.
0: Well, you know, the Blitz, uh, both in 2017 and 2013, uh, Blitz players represented 25% of the roster uh, we had uh, in 2017 the Blitz had 4 coaches on Team Canada uh, Team Canada's staff uh, in 2013 we had uh, 3 coaches so I think that we've been um, a factor or we've been certainly part of, of that uh, Team Canada um, roster and think that we've helped the team Get better, uh, as you know. 2017, uh, we were, I think, a worthy opponent to Team USA. Uh, we managed to uh, give them a fight, give them uh, fright, also I think, at some point. But um, um, so the Blitz is certainly uh, part of that. Uh, WWCFL is, is, as you know, also very strong. Uh, teams from Saskatchewan. Uh, or especially, uh, present a lot of good, good players. They have a good roster, they have a good, good athletes. Uh, we had surprising athletes from Alberta and Manitoba that brought a lot of strength and speed to Team Canada. Um, so yes, the WWCFL, they have a good group, good nucleus of, of players over there, and uh, good structure. They have uh, good organizations and every city, so it's been growing. Uh, New Brunswick and uh, Nova Scotia also have a group of teams there that have grown significantly over the past years, and um, we're looking forward to our uh, games against them this summer. Uh, So we're going to have two two games against uh, uh, teams from New Brunswick, and that's going to be interesting uh, to see uh, we can fare against uh, against these players that have again grown tremendously over the past years. That we're going to be it's going to be a hard hard battle this summer. Um, so uh, I think football is developing in Canada. Women's football is certainly developing in Canada. Uh, what we need to do now is, is strengthen the eastern portion of Canada, get more teams in eastern Canada, and, and try to. Uh, create this league that will be able to uh, give all the players and all the teams a chance to really have a, a nice schedule and, and something that's uh, uh, interesting and might, you know, we might also be able to get some coverage. That's the objective, as you know, to raise the profile of the sport and uh, make sure that we get coverage from uh, TV and, and, and uh, radio and newspapers and, and, and we're getting there. Uh we, we have more and more coverage in, in uh, with the Blitz. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to again raise the profile of the sport.
1: Pierre, the the success of the team, uh somewhat your success too, plus the coaching, uh Sadia uh, Ashraf, uh owned the team before that, before the you know the board of directors here. So it's a very mm-hmm. very staple franchise in terms not just, you know, for playing in the U S but it is a staple franchise in terms of Canadian history uh, right alongside the Saskatchewan Valkyries now and the St. John's storm. So it's going to be awesome yeah. that you guys are going to be able to kind of put together this Eastern uh, Montreal, Ontario, you know, swing. Um, are you guys talking to uh, MIFA, uh, MIFA to, to help out with that as well? Cause I know they have, I believe the Longhorns there as well. So, is there is there that's talks correct. internally, like in the area?
0: Yeah, uh, that's the project. We're going to play two games. Well, in fact, we have three games scheduled against uh, Mississauga Football, Indoor Football Association. Uh, so, we got to have a game on March 2nd, uh, sort of a scrimmage uh, to get them ready for their tournament in Mexico and get us ready for the. Schedule that we're going to have later on this year, and we have two games, home and away, with uh, the Mississauga team this summer. Um, so yes, we're going to work with them, and uh, Liston, um, is also, Liston is also Liston's the uh, director of, of MIFA, and uh, both him and I share the same vision of, of creating this Eastern Canadian league. So we're going to be working together to uh, uh, join forces with the uh, Maritime. Football Association so that we have um, you know better teams and, and stronger representation so yes we're going to be working together uh, Mississauga Montreal and the Maritimes and the objective is to get some support in other areas of Ontario and Quebec uh, we're working with um, people in Ottawa people in Quebec City and uh, still the' still in first steps but that's the objective to try to get Certain, you know, some interest or teams created in those areas, uh, so that we would have uh, two or more, two or three more teams in Eastern Canada. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. First time I'm going to play against the um, Ontario uh, team, so it's going to be fun.
1: Uh, Pierre, have you guys reached out to the CFL in their uh, programs or anything like that in terms of, like the Red Blacks or? The actual yeah. Argonauts and stuff like that
0: yes we were we were uh, at the great Cup we had uh, the chance to uh, meet the cFL commissioner uh, and uh, uh, he told us that he would try to support us. Uh, we've worked with the Montreal Alouettes um, Montreal Alouettes have been also supportive of our efforts. Um, uh, there's a new ma- system general manager at, uh, with the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, uh, she's um, she's um, supportive. She wanted to play for us before she moved out to Toronto, so that was a disappointment when she uh, was offered this job in, in, in Toronto, and because of that move, she no longer will play for the Blitz. But uh, that would have been fun, but I think that she wants to support the development of women's football in Ontario. So that's a good ally for us uh, in the CFL. Uh, so, but as you know, it's it's always the same fight. You know, you want to get, uh, you want to raise the profile, you want to demonstrate the uh, um, your professionalism, and and you want to show them that you know we we can bring value to their activity, to their to their league. I think that as you know, a lot of women love professional football, and they're just spectators at this moment, but. You know, if we can get more women involved and more women uh, interested in the game, well, it's all good for them also. So that's the, that's the message, and that's what we talked to the commissioner about. And you um, responded very well to that. So we just have to um, continue working with him and see where it leads us.
1: Now, Pierre, can you tell our listeners uh, your background? Um, you've been obviously a part of the Blitz in terms of the history of the team plus you part, you know, participated participated uh, within the sport to elevate the women's game in terms of team Canada. So let the, let the, our listeners know exactly, you know, what you're all about and what you've done.
0: Uh, long story short, you know, I'm a, I played football at university level uh, in the early seventies. So that gives you an, an idea of where I am in my life. Uh, so but uh, as many players, you know, when you see your kids start to play, starting to play, well, you want to coach. And that's how I got involved in coaching many, many years ago. Um, and uh, so I coached uh, Boys Club for many years until recently. And uh, about eight years ago, nine years ago now, uh, I was asked to join the coaching staff of the Blitz. Uh coached both. Uh, high school level and and, uh, what we call here civil leagues, uh, youngsters, uh, 16- and 17-year-old boys, and uh, then worked with uh, Sadia and uh, the other coaches then. I was at D.C. uh, for a couple of years with the Blitz, and then I was uh, asked to become a head coach, and I was the head coach for the Blitz for, well, up until last summer. And um, I also had the chance to work with Jeff Yauzi and Shannon Donovan from Football Canada. Uh, Jeff was the head coach of the uh, Team Canada. And so I was asked to join the team then in 2013 as a DC and uh, did the same thing in 2017. That was a great experience um, to see football played at that level and playing against the all-star team from the U.S., and from Finland and uh, the Swedish teams, uh, you know, there is good football being played all around the world. So um, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's a challenge to convince people that this is serious stuff, that we, we are playing a great sport, and women can certainly uh, be very good at it. And uh, so we got to get that message across.
1: Pierre, the the excitement over Team Canada on Homeland, the IFAB World Championship, uh, was that something that was spoken to in the uh, coaching realms, plus in the locker room prior to the tournament in Vancouver? Was us? was you know that's this is a moment basically. If you think about it, you don't get a you don't get often where you're the home host nation and you get the opportunity. Um, you know, and you guys have been number two pretty much in the world for the last you know three tournaments. So. Um, was there anything in the players that you guys were expressing to the players at this point and just a bigger moment or, or was just, you know, let's just go out there and prove what we're worth.
0: Well, you know, when you're hosting a tournament, like the world championships, you always want to do well. You always want to be um, the best team on the field. It's normal. And uh, we knew that uh, facing the American team would be a challenge. And we really worked hard to get, to a higher level of play. Um, I think that we managed to do that. Uh, there's still, you know, we still have a lot of work, a lot of work to do to, to reach that level of excellence that the U.S. team has, has reached over the years. But, uh, you know, consider the pool of players that we have in Canada versus the pool of players in the U.S., uh, that was part of the message. We told the girls, look, this is what we have. This is the number of people that we can choose the team. The players from, and just got to be the best you can. And uh, so the message was clear. You know, we wanted to do well. We wanted to be the champions. We wanted to beat the U.S. And um, well, we were beaten by a better team. Uh, And that was uh, uh, was certainly a disappointment. Um, But I think that the improvement between 2013 and 2017 was clear. Uh, We had a better team. We had a Better players, uh, more experienced players, and uh, uh, well, I think it was a good. I think it was a good game, the championship game. I don't know if you saw that. was certainly uh, a very interesting game to watch. I think the spectators loved it. The uh, attendance was uh, uh, was surprising, and uh, there was a lot of good coverage in the media, also. Uh, so, it was a great experience for. Canadian football. I think uh, uh, we certainly. Uh, I can't speak for the uh, for Football Canada, but I think that as a coach and as a uh, part of the team, it was certainly something that I would like to
1: repeat if I could. Well, two silver medals does you know, and it's not bad. That's pretty good, considering you know that's where you're. That's where you're, the level of competition, like you said, and it's going to improve. I mean, a lot of the teams that came into the tournament. Very impressive, Great Britain, Mexico being some of those two, Australia coming into the tournament. So mm-hmm. uh, we just talked about Australia at the beginning of the hour here, how they've already put together pretty much regional tournaments uh, as well. So they're growing the game as well. So you're going to get, you know, the, the level's going to elevate way better for every every tournament. Oh, basically. Yeah. Cause yep. Even Mexico's been playing ball for like 12 years and they're they're improving. They're going to go to 11-on-11s this, this coming year. So once that everybody gets to that 11 level, I think the, uh, the, the growth of the sport will go higher. Um, I agree. I'm going to uh, chime in Troy here to ask some questions for you. And then uh, in a bit here, we're going to have Luis Bean coming in as well, and she's probably got some questions for you too. So really appreciate you joining us today. So, Troy, go ahead and shoot away to Pierre.
2: Hey, Pierre. Um, just, you know, especially with the new transition from the WFA, um, but just globally, what do you, where do you see women's football maybe like, uh, you know, three three to five years from now? Because, I mean, I just see it popping up all over the world. Um, I mean, just you, you guys kind of went over some of them already in Finland and Australia, and, you know, in Mexico. I mean, have got them everywhere. So uh, I just want to know where you see the game going in three to five years. Well,
0: I think that um, the biggest – well, I, I shouldn't say this – I think that one of the challenges that we're facing um, in women's football is perception. Uh, And, um, you know, I've heard this from federations in Canada uh, where they say, well, women's football is is, going to be difficult to convince women to play football because of the concussion issue uh, and because of the uh, higher risk, higher perceived risks of of concussions in, in women's with women players. So uh, this is going to be a a great challenge as it is for boys or men's football. You know, we're always uh, facing that issue. And and I think that uh, coaching has changed significantly over the past years to deal with that issue. And we've got to get that message across. Uh, You know, coaches and players are not stupid. They're just trying to make this game as safe as possible so that, you know, we can continue playing. If we can do this, get that message across, uh, I think that women want to play the sport. Uh, We get every year. uh, We get, like, we're starting our training camp a bit later this year than we did in the past because of our situation in 2018. But I can tell you the general manager of the team has a list of about 50 girls that have never played or played in different sports, uh, mostly flag football, Uh, and they just want to participate. They want to play the sport. So I think the interest is there. Um, What we have to do now is is continue working with the federations in Canada. Maybe you're aware of this, but each province has a a federation, a provincial federation that um, supervises the activities of the football teams in the province. So... um, So we have to work with the federations and and get that message across and and show how serious we are and how professional we are. So to answer your question, where will we be three or four years down the road? I think that uh, if we can uh, work on getting the message across as far as, you know, how we're working to control the concussion issue, that's one thing. The second thing we need in – We need to make sure that the structures are there, that the teams are well-organized, and um, that the provincial or state or or regional organizations support uh, the development of women's football. So where will we be in three to four years or five years? I think that in Canada uh, there's going to be an Eastern League. Uh, I think that we're going to have hopefully between five or six teams in eastern Canada, uh, five or six teams in western Canada. Uh, if we can raise the profile of women's football and get the support of the CFL, uh, that, that should be realized. Uh, I can't speak to the other areas of the U.S. or other countries, but that's what I see happening in Canada. I see three or four more teams in, in, uh, in eastern Canada.
2: Awesome! Awesome! And um, you know what? That kind of well, something that you alluded to earlier was actually my second and, la- and last question was about the concussions. And since it is such a huge spotlight on on CTE and, and some of the effects of, uh, of you know head injuries from playing football and also other sports, what are you guys uh, planning on doing? Or where do you where do you see this going? Do you guys have any plans as far as how are you want going to attack that in the future and to make sure that you know um, you know, the players are educated in, in these things?
0: Yeah, <clears throat> well, it's it's part of our, um, well, I'll speak at two levels. Uh, first of all, at the National Federation level uh, and the Provincial Federation level, uh, there's a lot of work being done right now to get that message across and make sure that everyone involved uh, is aware of the risks, and is also aware of the uh, training methods uh, to prevent these accidents from happening. So um, there's safe tackling drills and all these things that we all hear about that are being taught to coaches, and uh, uh, there's a lot of awareness uh, at all levels here in Canada as far as uh, the concussion issue. Uh, as far as the blitz is concerned, I can tell you that it's been, you know, when I was playing many, many, many years ago, you know, uh, spearing was allowed. Uh, you know, we didn't, we used our heads to hit the other players. We concussions were not at all uh, part of our, uh, it was, we were not aware of the risks and, and uh, uh, but that was the way we were th- thought to play. That's the way the coaches were teaching us, and that's what we did. I can tell you that I've not, never never coached that way in all my years. Uh, since the 70s, I think that we've seen a change in the, the way coaches perceive the risks and um, the way players perceive the risks. You know, we, we, we don't see, um, you know, our practices are done without helmets most of the time. Uh, because we're aware of that, and we want to make sure that we teach the players the proper uh, ways of uh, minimizing the risks uh, associated with uh, concussions. So it is a big issue. I think it's perception. Also, I think that most people don't realize how the sport has evolved at the coaching level and at the player level. I think that the sport has reacted quickly, um, when information, when it was made clear that there was risks with concussions, I think that uh, federations in Canada have reacted quickly and uh, implemented systems or methods or, or uh, protocols so that we limit the risk. Um, so I'm hoping that um, we will not talk about concussions anymore in the future. Uh, I'm hoping that uh coaches and teams will adapt their methods so that we limit the risk but you never you know like you said you know there is risks you know hockey soccer um volleyball what you know all sports you know there's always a risk in concussion but we want to limit that much as much uh, that risk as much as possible so that we at least control the perception of of uh, people not involved in the sport, not knowing what we're really working hard on, on achieving here, is in, in minim- minimizing the risks uh, that come with with the sport.
2: Excellent, excellent. I mean, because uh, you know, um, it, it, it's good to see on some end some technology start to be. Um, is also starting to put into it because, I mean, with the shells that they have on these helmets, that's yeah. just still not, you know, being able to stabilize the brain. And that's what that's what the issue is because the brain mm-hmm. kind of bounces around within that fluid. Yeah, but they are yep. starting to have some technological advances to it, and so it's just great to see that. And, and you know, I'm, I'm wishing everyone well. Cause the last thing I want to see, you know, especially with their, you know, taking away uh, football for 13-year-olds now in some areas, or they were planning on doing that, Or voting to do that, and that's just you Mm -hmm. know, I don't want to see that. I just wish you know, we could find a way to be safer, and I just think if everyone contributes just like you guys are planning on doing, I think it bodes well for everyone in the industry.
0: Yep, agreed. Agreed.
1: Oscar? All right, so uh, Pierre, let me see if I can get Luis uh, Bean here, Um, just trying to get her on the switchboard here, having some problems with it, but uh, as soon as we get her on here, but Pierre, it's it's been kind of nice that you guys have been very successful in the IWFL for a long time. Uh, a very successful season in the WFA last year. Uh, you went up against the uh, obviously the eventual champion, the Tampa Tampa Bay Inferno. So uh, talk about that, the success that you had uh, long term, and how your you know the team has really played well in terms of the coaching, in terms of you know the players that you guys are you know, acquiring and stuff. So. Uh, talk about mm-hmm. the just the blitz itself as a staple. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that one reality that we face is um, the size of the players. You know, we always have had smaller teams. Um, and uh, because of that, our, our playbooks are different. Uh, certainly the influence of the CFL with, um, it has been a factor in the sense that we are maybe more pass oriented than other teams. Uh, we, we work a lot on technique and speed at all positions. Uh, our players are small, so they have to be more agile. They have to be quicker. They have to be faster. So we work hard on selecting the players that res- that are adapted to that style of play. Um, coaching as far as the coaching is concerned, you know, we, we've, uh, we've had the luxury of having great coaches over the years. Um, I think it's been part of our success. I think that the coaching, uh, and the teaching that we've been able to, uh, to do, uh, has helped us, uh, compete. Uh, you know, we're facing great teams playing against, uh, uh, Huge teams, bigger teams, faster teams um, you know you, you uh, the renegades or, or or the New York sharks or the washington divas they're great teams, and to be able to compete with them we well you can't you can't play big on big you know uh, we, we don't have that size, so we have to adapt, we have to change our playbooks we have to be uh, you know we have to think differently, so that's what we've done, and that's what allowed us to Uh, To succeed and and get some some success over the years, Um, and uh, that's the only way we're going to be able to succeed in any you know uh, in Canadian leagues or the U.S. leagues. That's the reality we're facing. Now in CFL, we're going to be playing 12 men football now in, in with the Blitz because of the change of the change in our situation. So and as you know, CFL rules are different larger fields, uh, more players, uh, movement, there's motion, everybody's allowed to move. So that changes the playbook again. So it's going to be um, a different game for us, but it's going uh, it, to be ready for it because we've played the Canadian Championships uh, in the past and we've played 12, 12-man football uh, in the past. So we have, uh, we have experience playing the CFL rules also. So, um, yes, it's been it's been um, an experience uh, playing in the U.S. because we had to be we had to change our playbook and adapt it to the size and the abilities of the players we had, and we had we have and we had uh, great athletes. You know, you talked about Saria Ashraf, uh, who was a quarterback for the Blitz for so many years and was one of the best quarterbacks in the league, if not the best quarterback in the IWFL for many years. Uh, And uh, she was able to control the game. She was able to uh, run that passing offense that we had. Uh, We had the luxury of having a lot of very, very good receivers, tall receivers, fast receivers that were able to, you know, people you could depend on to catch the ball, whatever the situation was. And, uh, so that was our mainstay. That was the the strength of our offense. And then on defense, we we just played aggressive. You know, again, you know, when when uh, our biggest player weighs 200 pounds and the team, well, you know, you know you can't play big on big. So you have to change your strategies.
1: Yeah, I I was trying to figure out how all that changed. In terms of you know the the changing of the leagues and everything else, but I think it's going to be great for you guys going forward and see if uh, anything really stands out in terms of the the scope of the change for Canada in terms of the whole the whole nation. That's a good sign, I think, for the sport in general, for the you know in the country itself. Uh, the less travel time for you guys to come to the states kind of makes it seem like a lot better for you guys financially too because if you can get an eastern block set up, uh, you're able to just travel east east and west so much uh, in that and then kind of figure out the logistics of it. So kind of exciting there. Um, let's bring in Luis Bain here, uh, mm-hmm. yep. IWFL uh, legendary quarterback with the Utah Falcons. Uh, so Luis, uh, Pierre uh, Migner of the Montreal Blitz for you.
3: Hey, can you hear me?
0: Good afternoon. Yes, yes, good evening. How are you today? All
3: right. Hey, Pierre. It's really nice to – I got to listen to the last 20 minutes um, of uh, you guys talking and about Canada, and, um, you know, I did watch a good portion of the Canada-USA game, and I felt like the gap totally closed a lot this year from the four years ago as far as – Actually, I, this is my opinion. I felt like the U.S. didn't come out very sharp, and I thought you guys punched them in the mouth, and, you know, they had to finally get it going and get their... Obviously, they have a lot of long-time players and some very good players, and there's some size involved. Um, but I, I thought definitely in the last four years, the gap has closed. And even when they played Australia, I thought the gap had closed because four years ago, you know, they really just... Beat everyone pretty soundly And I don't know Being an American player and, uh, being, and being around this sport For quite a few years You know There's some USA pride And there's some um, You know There's definitely the feeling That You know That there's Players out there Feel like they're better And that they uh, In some terms Earned it Or That maybe sometimes They just have to show up And everything will take over And And uh I definitely thought you guys played pretty well. And uh, I like to see that happen. I mean, yes, one thing, sure, I want USA to win, but I also want to see just the growth of the sport and see how far it's come. So, um, And I played for a, every uh, team, the, the team that I came from because I just barely had moved away and had retired, but with the Utah Falcons, we were always smaller than most everyone else. And yeah. I don't know why. We had mm-hmm. huge rosters. We had 50. 50 yep. players all the time. We were always smaller, but we were always taught that, and also our scheme really helped because with triple option, it's hard to simulate that scheme. So mm-hmm. that gives us a huge benefit. But our coaches always took it to the thing okay, how are you going to take their coaching staff out of the mix? Okay, so we went no huddle. We yeah. went forward on fourth a lot, rugby punted, onside kick. You mm-hmm. know, so we're trying to eliminate all the things that we can control because we can't control size. We didn't have shotguns because we didn't have a big enough line to hold that long. But everything was technique-based. Everything was drill-based, reps, because that's how we're going to beat you. And so we're not going to beat you man-on-man man, or woman-on-woman, woman, whatever, because, yeah, you're going to be bigger. But we always got <laughs> yeah. told that we got to be smarter. And so yeah. I definitely can appreciate where you guys are coming from. And and I don't know why I, I just like these other teams, you know, Dallas and – Washington and Pittsburgh and and we we play Pittsburgh and they're just these big athletes. I'm thinking, How come yeah. they don't aren't born in Utah? I don't get that. But uh But we came yeah. with the attitude like I'm sure you guys have where it's just like, Well, we're gonna beat you and we're gonna beat you this way and it's not because you know, we're gonna get the we're gonna block just just get your shoulder turned or something like that. We're not gonna come on you straight up because we're not gonna win that battle. So you know, obviously I can see how you have to adjust things and stuff like that. So I thought you guys, I mean, I'm sure as a coach you probably looked at the game and thought, oh, we could do this better, we could do that better, and, oh, we missed this opportunity or whatever. But from the the, the viewer point of the spectator, I thought it was cool. I just thought, look at those guys. Look how much they've improved in four years. And, yep. um, you know, the U.S. is going to yep. be the U.S. New players moving up. But I did have a question. So, uh, two questions. So, in Canada, um, and you talked about the pro- provincial and the territorial stuff, and kind of they have their own federation. Um, how do they? So, in the U.S., when you want to start a team, a group of people get together and they start a team, and they're not really regulated. I mean, yeah, they can apply to be in the leagues, um, but they're not really regulated as far as okay, do you have coaches that are you know have some trains or have they mm-hmm. been taught these? Whatever. And I have played against quite a few teams that had very low numbers. Um, and to me, that's not safe. And to me, my opinion is, is I don't feel like the league should allow those teams. And yeah, they say you have to have a certain amount of players to play. But people aren't honest. And so, you know, they show up with 13 players, and we've got 53 and so that's not a safe environment in my opinion and it also doesn't feel like it's being regulated so do you guys have regulations in places, it sounds like you have with your federations how do you control that, how do you make it safe because it's one thing to talk about okay we're going to tell our, co- tell people to think about you know, uh, your concussions but how is that up there versus I can tell you what it's like here
0: well that's a difficult question to answer um well, okay. yes, the federations will, will basically give us a framework in which we have to work. Um, so ideally, uh, there would be a minimum number of players that we would have to have on each team. The challenge we're facing is that we're creating a league, we're creating new teams, and we have to build the, um, these teams from zero. So how many players are we going to have? Uh, I would believe that we'd be, we at least need a minimum of 24, 25 players per team. Um, that's the minimum roster size that I think we should have. Um, uh, the Blitz has, has faced that issue over the years. You know, uh, We've played with 25 players all these years. I've been coaching uh, for the Blitz. We've never had more than 27, 26, 27 players on the roster. And I think that's the minimum we can have. So that would be certainly something that I would like to see in the the teams that are going to be created in eastern Canada. The federations at this moment uh, will require that the coaches have training. um, And uh, there's uh, a system in Canada where coaches can get certification, very similar to the one you have with USA Football. Uh, so we need to have levels, uh, certification levels. So mm-hmm. um, federations will require that from the coaches. And um, But as far as the number of players, I think that's going to be a challenge the first couple of years, trying to get the rosters to that 25-player level uh, so that we can um, have um, a safer environment in which we can play. Um mm-hmm. And as far as the rules are concerned, like the federation's role is in, in supervising the uh, uh, the rules and the leagues, and, and that's just administrative stuff. Basically, you know, you know, you have to register with the federation so that they're aware that you're there, and the, the all the insurance programs are are in place for your players, and and, and so on, and so forth. So, uh, uh, so the 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 framework that the league or the federation will give the teams is. I would say minimal, but it's okay.
3: We, we, we can live with that. Okay. And so the teams have a certain amount of autonomy, but yet they're supposed to be held to certain guidelines in a sense.
0: Yes, yes, exactly.
3: Okay. Yeah, and there is, like you just said, you know, I, you know, we're,
0: we're doing now, the Federation is aware that we want to create teams in Sherbrooke and Quebec City and Ottawa. They know that. Uh, okay. They will not uh, put us, they'll not. they won't put any, any, um, create any problems with that. They know that we're going to start from zero. They know that we're going to have to create uh, some sort of momentum in these communities so that we have women starting to, to play and practice and play uh, football. So um, I think there's a certain level of, of accommodation so that we can we can grow the team. So, uh, okay. so there won't be any, I don't think there will be any s- strict Requirements at this moment.
3: Okay. Um, so I know that you've been involved with Team Canada for a little while, and obviously the Montreal Blitz. Um, so what are your personal aspirations? You know, what 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 drives you to be a part of all this, and what do you feel as your goals personally?
0: Oh boy, um, I'm <laughs> I, I just retired. I just retired as a coach. Um, the um, uh, I think that. Um, with my prof- professional occupations, it was becoming more and more difficult to put the uh, adequate amount of time and uh, in getting all these coaches prepared and ready to, to do their job. So basically I passed um, that baton to somebody else. Uh, now I'm more involved in, in the business development side um, and um, – my mandate is to create this uh, league in eastern Canada. That's what I want to do. That's my, uh, my objective. And like I told um, Oscar, is to get this league created within two or three years in eastern Canada so that we could have a structure that's strong and, and, and uh, recognized and supported by the CFL and by Football Canada and by the federations. I want to raise the profile of the sport. So that's my aspiration. Why do I do it? I just love the sport. And I think that um, what I really love doing in the past years has been working with women and getting them to play the sport that we all love. And uh, it's been fun because women have this, you know, this ability to interact and and learn hard and play hard and give – all they have, and uh, so I, I love coaching women. It, it, it's a fun. Uh, I've both, like I said, I coach both men and and women, and it's um, you know it was it was fun. So I just want to make sure that more women have the chance to play. That's that's my objective.
3: Okay, so you know you're gonna miss it. You'll miss me being on the sideline. So have you planned for with the withdraw- withdrawal issues? <laughs>
0: There was a practice tonight,
3: and uh, I told the
0: coaches, "Don't count on me. I will not be there because I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I don't want to go through that. So uh, oh. I will not be there during training camp. So uh, you're gonna have so to read a self-help when, book when, or
3: something like that. <laughs> yeah, I've had <laughs> to, to read Oscar. some of those, you know. <laughs> yeah, Retirement's so, uh, hard. No. <laughs>
0: yeah, so my my excuse tonight was I had to be. Uh, with Oscar on this podcast, so that's why I wasn't there. So, uh, so Oscar but, you know, saved the to be, Yeah, you did. You did. So you can blame he me like Yeah, I'm going to blame <laughs> you. That's for <what's> sure. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, that's very cool. It's really nice to see. Um, you know, uh, it's one thing to see women who want to help promote the sport. It's another thing to see men who have honest aspirations and they just really love the sport and to help promote it. I mean. In my eight years, I saw the evolution in Utah because it, it hadn't been in Utah until the year that I started playing. And then it just got more normal and more normal and more normal. And, and I still believe that the product will have to will have to be continue to be good for people to get attention. I mean, it's just like any sport, any, you know, the Olympics or the professionals. When it's a good product, then people will pay attention and, you know, they'll... They'll give it more creative yeah, well, things like that. Agreed, agreed. And you know
0: what? I think you and I and and Oscar and, and Troy we all know that this the spectacle and the sport the way the women play the sport is exceptional. Uh we just got to get this message across. You know, when we get people coming in to watch the game for the first time and they uh, they exit the stadium after the game and they look at us and say, Man, that was good. I didn't mm-hmm. expect that.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: and uh so the show is in, it's a good show it's a good a good game and, and 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 to get that message across and so it's um, that's another challenge you know, it won't be easy but at least we're mm-hmm. getting some support in Canada I know you are in the US also and I think all of us you know I was at the general meeting uh, of the WFA in September and we were talking about you know what challenges are uh, we're all facing as, as uh, uh, believers or as uh, promoters of the sport, and uh, we're all facing the same issues, all of us, all the teams, your team in Utah, uh, teams in Canada, we're all facing the same issues. Yet the message across that the sport is exciting, that women can play the sport as it, is, as, as it should be played, it's a safe sport, uh, We've got to get that message across that women can play this sport, not risk any more injury than any other people, uh, any other person practicing any sport, and uh, get that message across. It's an exciting game to watch, even if it's women's playing. Uh, you know, it's, it's even more exciting in certain aspects. So.
3: Well, I have in-laws and I have relatives that are triathletes, and they have spent way more time in a hospital with their injuries than I ever have. And so. Uh, yep. Agreed. Uh, yeah. You know
1: what, Louise, <laughs> so, you can't say enough because you had a good line. All those girls up front had, had a good line. They didn't have a good line. I had. That's why you're. I had you're a good line. Right.
3: But, but remember, <laughs> we, we, had, we did everything pre-snap reads. We did everything with three steps drop. So, <laughs> hey, that's because we're small. So you have to adapt. You're not going to sit back there for five Seconds trying to look downfield, so you know it's like Pierre said, you have to adapt. And and I'm sure. not taking any. Uh, I mean, I, I we I every year I gave gifts. The quarterbacks gave gifts to the O line like they do in the pros because hey, you know why mm-hmm. you gotta you know who you're gonna give credence to. Um, yep. But yep. you know I just think if you keep, I just feel like that that we we kept battling in Utah, we kept winning games, and the respect came. And we had smart leadership and smart ownership as far as marketing and things like that. And Utah's not like the first place that people think. Oh, women's football? That's going to be great. It just was. We just, it just was a great opportunity, and we just did really well. And uh, but you know what? There's still all. There's constant progress that's out there to be made. And so you know, I don't really see girls talk a lot about. At least in my years, I didn't really see girls talk a lot about worried about concussions. I think for them it was just it was just like this new frontier they could do, and so they're like, I'm yep. playing, and they didn't play it because um, they were little kids. Yep, I was
0: I was really impressed by the I forget the name of the young lady who got the award, uh, the uh, NFL oh, banquet. Um, I forget her name. Sam Gordon. Uh, Sam Gordon? Yes, yes, she was so good, uh, and and trying to get you know giving that message of a girl wanting to play a great sport and i don't know how it was perceived in the us uh, i don't know if the message got through and um but certainly here in in quebec at least even though we're not you know it, it was people talked to me after that said oh did you see the girl you see the way she talked about the game at the nfl awards uh so how was it perceived in the us was it perceived positively or was it, oh, was yeah. it seen at all or
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, it was all over social media. And obviously in Utah we all know who she is and the people that helped start the league with her and her dad were former players uh that I had played with. Mm-hmm. And so, um so yeah, I mean then the league seems to be doing well. Um and the girls come to our games and you know, so it's a good it's a good uh coexistence seemingly.
1: Mm-hmm. Um
3: and so, you know, it's a, I guess a feeder system. It's just that the girls haven't been old enough yet to feed into the system yet um, right. but as far as adult football. Um, but, you know, I've always just told – for me, I've just wanted to play the game my entire life, and I've played flag for years. And so for me, it was just an opportunity. And so I never looked at it like um, – this is just me. I never looked at it as uh, breaking down barriers or, or all these kind of issues. I looked at it as like, I love this game. And I want to play it as best as I can because I've dreamed of it my whole life. And so to me, it's just a game. And I feel like anyone can learn a game. And if you have a brain, you can learn to play this game. And so that's how I've always approached it. I haven't approached it like I'm trying to send a message. or think. My message was I want to be the best that I can be, and I want the team that I play for the best that we can be. And with that, mm-hmm. it will help promote the sport. And I didn't want to come at it trying to – Prove points. Yes, I want to prove that we can be good and that we can compete, and I want people to walk away and say, oh, wow, that was cool. Um, but yep. it, to me, it's just a game. It's not a guy's game. It's not a women's game. It's just a game, just like uh, Checkers is, and you can anyone yep. can get good at it. So yep. it's worked out well in Utah, and I just think it's fun to see what Canada is doing and obviously other countries, and I just think, wow, in 10 years, you know, where is it going to be? So. I'm good, Oscar.
1: Awesome. All right, so uh, Pierre, I really appreciate you making the time, uh, continued success with the uh, Montreal Blitz, and we're hoping that the uh, league that you're going to start is going to mature enough to be competitive, just like the wWCFL and the mWFL. and there's a lot of good teams out there, so hopefully in the future we'll get to that level like Australia where you have an inner you know inner country regional tournament to kind of gauge that for the world. That is correct.
0: Yeah, that's the objective. And thank you for giving me this chance to uh, talk to you about us and talk to you about the Blitz and women's football in Quebec and Canada. Um, just uh, stay tuned. It's going to be uh, exciting in the next few years. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, continue building the sport in Canada and uh, the next world championship, beat the U.S.,
1: yeah, that's go. the goal. I think that's <laughs> that. You guys are going to be able to do it. That's not. A, I don't. I have no doubts. Like, uh, Luisa's here. The level of play is going to get better every, with every country, so that's going to be a plus and yep. a bonus. Um, say yep. uh, say hi to Laura out there. Amazing. She played awesome at the worlds. So, uh, just you know, shout out to her. She was a yep. big time playmaker at the worlds. So, uh, just say hi to her and shout out to her. I'm pretty sure she's listening. But just a beast on at the uh, in Vancouver. So. Uh, congratulations to everybody on the blitz that participated in Canada as well. So, Pierre, we we'll look forward to another chat. Maybe uh, keep us in, uh, keep us uh, you know, at bay in terms of what's happening, and you know, at what point are you evolving to a full-fledged league so that we can talk about that and spread the word out as well, so that we can bring okay, more well, attention you. to you know the court. You know, be greatly appreciated yep. if you did that. Safe travels out there. Thank you for making the time again. I really appreciate it, and we'll look forward to another chat.
0: Thank you very much for your time, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
1: Have a great evening. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, that was Pierre Migner of the Montreal Blitz um, championship franchise, Montreal Blitz. They had, uh, ever since they got into the league 2001, uh, they have won pretty much in the IWFL, and they won a 2012 (coughs) national championship. And then last year, the first year in the WFA, they went as far as almost to the finals uh, for Division Two. They were up against uh, the T- the Tampa Bay Inferno. So uh, as Paul, as Pierre would say here, uh, they've made great strides. And the project there, I wanted to bring him on because the project there is, is, is huge. I mean, it's going to take him, like he said, until about 2019, 2020. And that's going to depend on a lot of factors, whether the CFL, the local, you know, uh, colleges and stuff like that support the sport there and give them an opportunity because uh it's a shame that you have a great team that has competed in the states as well as this and now they have no um uh, no league it's kind of like you just the the bag was pulled under you uh so the travel like he stated before the travel to western canada is huge in terms of cost eastern on the other side of Br- new brunswick is the same kind of concept so it just makes more sense for them to start uh and build up something new there so um all right. So, Luis, uh, you made it. Uh, Troy, uh, before you got here, Luis, we were talking about free agency. And so uh, let's talk about that for a couple minutes here until, before we go into the women's uh, gridiron need some notes for, uh, before we sign off here uh, in a bit. Um, so, Luis, do you have any thoughts on the free agency so far? We were talking Kirk Cousins maybe in, go to the Vikings. Um, Le'Veon Bell Bell's going to be on the market as well, I think, at some point. Drew Brees is always – you know, every year I think everybody talks about how Drew Brees is going to be on the market, but I, I really doubt. I think he's probably going to stay in Orleans in and just finish his career there. So any any uh, players that we haven't mentioned that are well, probably going to hit the market?
3: Oh, gosh. You know, um, Teddy Bridgewater, got in, in up in Minnesota, Teddy and uh, Case Keenum are getting paid hardly anything. And then Sam Bradford's making a ton of money. And so, you know, I think it'll just be a financial thing as far as what they decide up there. Um, obviously, there are several teams that need quarterbacks. And I'm from Arizona, so I pay attention to the Cardinals, um, depending on, uh, you know, Kurt Warner years were great and had some nice things with Carson. But, you know, everyone down there is watching to see what uh, Fitz, Fitzgerald does. No, yeah, Fitzgerald, not Fitzpatrick. Fitzgerald, yeah, getting my is mixed up. Um, as far as he's just waiting to see, I think, what happens and if they draft anybody. I can't tell where Kirk's going to go. Um, but, and I think it'll have it – may, people may wait till after the draft. but. Uh, um, you think Kirk's
1: goes to the Browns, Luis? No, I'm just kidding.
3: Uh, I know. that Man, the Browns. I think that
1: RD3 me, experiment is probably a bad example.
3: Yeah. They've got – the Browns have got – oh, man, that's uh, – just a slew of draft picks this year. Um, gosh, I think they have – oh, where did I read? I think they have several in the first round. Um, they, they have but plenty one, of
1: draft picks every year. They just can't seem to figure things out.
3: Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs>
1: it's like sad. I think Troy here, could do better than them. Maybe they call Johnny Manziel Troy, back. No, I'm, I don't think so.
3: I think Troy could co could do a really good job for them. <laughs>
1: um, Troy would actually just, be better
3: <laughs> I know you take the money, not a problem <laughs> I,
1: I cash know
3: serious. <laughs> Seriously Troy could really literally be the head be.
1: coach I think You can just replace uh, oh, yeah. Hugh Jackson
3: <laughs> I know I mean you should apply <laughs> um, And of course you're up there in D.C. So you know you could give your input over there um, I don't know Cleveland's just like cursed kind of all the time it's a dumpster
1: fire. Uh, it, just name it what it is. It's a dumpster fire. It's
3: <laughs> just a dumpster fire. Um, But, you know, I just think it'll be interesting. I think people will wait for the draft and to figure out the quarterback stuff. I don't know where Kirk wants to go. He's a Midwest guy, Michigan State. I don't think he'll go east. I don't think he'll go, uh, you know, big metropolis, big. I just think he'll go somewhere Midwest, down home. He's a spiritual guy. You know, I don't know. But anyway, I uh, my other my other team is Dallas, which Troy knows. And so they don't need a quarterback. So but ben Bryant thinks he's God's gift to everything, so I don't know. They need a little humility down there, but well, anyway, they're, they're thinking think they're of Lawrence.
1: The they were thinking about Lawrence uh Demarcus Lawrence, which is your sack leader out in Dallas, he's on the market. Yeah. So you know somebody's gonna pick him up. Big boy, fifteen sacks. I know. So we'll see how that
3: works they, out I just you know it it i can obviously it's hard with teams and their salary caps and just all those kind of things to try and make it all work and fit together and that's why I think the stuff in Minnesota is really interesting and you know i'd l i would really i know we talked a lot about this last week, but I think they should they keep Nick Bowles up in Philly because Carson wentz is nine to twelve months out and nine months is September, so they need to keep i just think they should keep him and then uh I think so. Here's my here's my bet so we can hold on to. It. I think that Kirk Cousins goes Midwest. I don't know which team, but I think he goes Midwest. And I think three QBs get picked up in the first round: uh, Darnell and Rosen, and Mayfield. So uh, I'm putting that out on the line.
1: There you Maybe go, we'll Troy. what happens. She's already set it up.
3: What do you got, Troy? I don't know, setting you up. You gonna you gonna match me <laughs> or what?
2: No, I can't match you now.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: no, Kirk Cousins going Midwest?
2: No, I mean I, I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking. Well, I mean, I guess if you want to count Minnesota as the Midwest, can we count Minnesota to that? Cause yeah. that's what I think. yeah, we, we can, can do that. I think that would be considered I think Midwest. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, honestly, that's the best fit for him. I guess at that point it's just more about money. Like, who can you pay Kirk Cousins that much if you are the Minnesota Vikings? So, I'm not sure what their cap space is. Uh, but if they would be able to sign Kirk Cousins, I think he's an upgrade over all three of the quarterbacks that they have there. And not just um, – I think Kirk, he would be in the bird seat. I mean, I think you would see uh, the Vikings back in the playoffs, you know, barring any kind of chemistry issues.
3: You're really putting Kirk Cousins over the three that they have, huh? All right. You're putting Absolutely.
2: it out there. I mean, yeah. well, And I say it because of this, and this will be my reason. So, uh, you know, their head coach, he was kind of lukewarm on, on uh, you know, uh, on what's his name? What's the, uh, the starter
1: oh, name? Bridgewater. Bridgewater.
2: No, no, no. Uh, no, no, Keenum. Uh, uh, Keenum? Case
1: Keenum. Sorry about that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, he
2: was kind of lukewarm on Case Keenum. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, he's he's injured, and they don't know yeah. if he's going to be able to come back. I mean, they, they put him back on a roster, but is he going to be a shell of him for for himself if he gets to start? And then you definitely have an issue with um, you know Sam Bradford and his injury. Yeah. Um, so are you going to resign those guys? Now you invested heavily in two of them, one of them you haven't invested in at all, and you know so who knows? But that's what I'm saying. And they're all three of them are free agents. So I just think Kirk will be an upgrade, especially since Kirk is so durable. He still hasn't missed a game in his career as of yet, and he's been remarkably healthy for all of the, you know, the, he, he hasn't has taken that many hits here in D.C., but he's been remarkably healthy, no things or anything. So, you know, that bodes well for that team also, whoever picks
1: him up. Should I call Case Keenum to the Browns now? I'll call it right now. Case Keenum to the Browns. Are you calling it? Okay. Why not?
3: Okay, so now you guys heard that. Uh, oh my gosh, his name just left me. Um, the quarterback who was with the Browns, and then he had alcohol problems from. Uh, Mansell. Yeah, you know he came out today, and he's he's uh, trying to get back in. He's he's working on his health. He's going to go to the CFL. Uh, so hey, you know Troy, you can call something on that one too. Uh,
2: Mansell, man, I you know I don't think he's going to get another chance. I don't. Um, I think Johnny Manziel is kind of, you know, he, he's kind of set his own course. Um, now I know recently he's come out and, um, you know, he stated that his issue was, by, you know, he's had a bipolar disorder. And, yeah. you know, there are meds that can treat that in his treatment. And he hasn't been, he won't be the first, um, you know, player to have bipolar disorder in the NFL. He certainly won't be the last. And so I don't think that's a debilitating thing that would bother him. I just think his past alone will catch up with and people are going to sit back and say, okay, is he going to be able to keep this under control? How are we going to be able to monitor this guy? And then you say to yourself, is you know, that investment in one player, is it actually worth it because you don't know if he can actually play. So will the juice be worth the squeeze? And I think that's the understated thing that most teams are thinking about when they're thinking about if they were to have Johnny Manzo on the table.
3: Okay, so do you guys think he's anything like Baker? Uh no no
2: and I and I yeah. say that because you know Baker Mayfield I mean, they they both have that kind of um, you know that swagger to them um, you know brash young kids you know partying and stuff like that he's, he's got that in him but I think Baker Mayfield may be a little bit more mature I think he's more of a leader where Johnny Manziel he was he was definitely a leader but he was also the type of that would get in trouble a whole lot more and just doing extra stuff. I mean, there's plenty of YouTube videos of Johnny Manziel doing something that, you know, he, I remember one time he went to a party at Texas A&M. I mean, uh, Texas, University of Texas. And he went to Texas A&M. Why would you go to a party at your arch-rival school? Like, you don't you do not do stuff like that, man. And then, you know, you get drunk and out of, out of pocket. So those are the type of things. He was doing. baker Mayfield playing the flag on the field, cross-grabbing, you
1: know, I, I get it. But to, to me, those are things that are in, uh, in the moment, you know. Yeah, I, I think he's prob- – I think Manziel's probably pretty much done. If he goes to the CFL, I mean, that's probably the only uh, option he's got. Um, you guys, let's talk about the discussion that everything's going on. This week, uh, the youth football discussion, which is we've got the girls tackle football participation increase already, especially with the Utah Girls League that started, and then you got Indiana, Georgia, and everywhere else. There's a lot of leagues starting, including, you know, up north with the Manitoba. But the news coming out this week was that a lot of states, you know, uh, are starting to figure out that maybe they're going to start to ban the participation of uh, youth football at an age of 12 to 13. So, Luis, I'll throw that out to you. Do You think it's a good idea, you agree with it or disagree with it? What's your stance?
3: Oh man. Um, you know, I can go both <coughs> excuse me, I can go both ways. I mean every every single bill that's being proposed right now is are being proposed by um Democrats. And Democrats generally like a little more government oversight. And so some, sometimes I feel like, okay, so when is you know, where's the right line for government oversight? um in our lives, and so you know I mean, we have seatbelts, and we, we can think of a million different t- subjects and topics that that um, that the government has stepped in and created rules and laws and stuff like that. um it seems a little extreme to me i I mean, I know that they're trying to control even in high school in some of the states how many hours they can practice and different things like that, and how much can be um, contact and you know, in some aspects, like the Falcons where I played, we rarely, rarely ever tackled each other. Um, we just tackled dummies, or any time we went team, it was like two-hand touch, or you just kind of popped them with your shoulder pad a little bit, um, but you never took to the ground. And I know a lot of colleges are doing that um, nowadays where they don't really tackle each other, and, and they limit that, um, and... You know, obviously for us, it worked just fine. Uh, another reason why they did it, not just for safety reasons, is because it makes those defensive players, um, uh, you know, when they smell the meat, then they're, they're really hungry because they haven't got a chance to really pop anybody. And so, uh, but they did, they learned all their techniques just through the dummy. And so tackling dummies and things like that. So for us, it worked really well, and we always did that. All the years that I've played, we've always done that. So that's nothing new to me trying to regulate it I don't know but I do agree that um, you can learn a lot in flag football and you can have a lot of fun and you know tackle I I did coach my son's youth team help coach um, for two seasons and if you practice that much in flag you get really good at flag Um, so but I do think tackle football brings out uh, you know I've, I've played college sports and Oh my gosh, there's something about the you know, the the, oh, the hitting and things like that that I know is is attractive to people. That's not why I played because my position's not built that way, but um, I know that is to a lot of people. So you know, I, I think it's a little much but I definitely agree you gotta keep educating and and there's a lot of coaches out there that really still buy into the old school style of coaching and I saw it um in the little league ranks where it's just like cutthroat kind of mentality and you see how tough you are and how hard you can hit and this big kid lays out this little kid and everyone cheers and you know all that kind of stuff so you know those things aren't good either so uh, I don't like government oversight so much but my son did so you're play. not we didn't so you're really play.
1: not a so you're really not agreeing with everything that for the banning is that what you're saying you're not really agreeing to anything? I mean, you, yeah, you, 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 it's, I just, it's great. It's great on safety, but you're saying legislation-wise, it's probably something to review, continue to review.
3: Yeah, and I just think it's a little much. But yet, if it happened, okay. then I think there's obviously some benefits. I just don't like taking the autonomy away from parents. But anyway, mm-hmm. I you know it is what it is on right. that aspect. But
1: Troy, I know you're a parent too. So at this point, um, I think it was Maryland one of the states also that's that's uh, putting it up at this point, little it was Illinois, California. So there's a couple states that are putting it up. So you're a parent too, Troy. So are you on the same thing as Louise here with the government stepping in or
2: you know, um I don't I don't think that the government needs to worry about so much about that. I mean, I, honestly, I would say this they have bigger fish to fry. Um, but I do understand where they're coming from as far as it does need some oversight. I'm not sure if it needs to go, you know, all the way to. I, I'm not sure if it should be government or if it should be, you know, maybe a private business is doing it. I'm not sure. But I, you know, I do agree with the oversight part of it. But I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it like this: the government has big, bigger fish to fry. You know, they can add some more people to, to the EPA. You know, do that. They need some help. Let these guys do some inspections. How about, you know, food inspectors? You know, the FDA. You know, just, you know, add, add more of those guys. We don't need uh, extra bodies, thousands of people trying to tell somebody how to tackle. But do something better with your time. That's that's why I feel about it.
1: I, I you know, I'm of a, the I'm a belief that, um, even with the CTE issues that have come and arise so far, uh, I, I'm with Pierre. I think a lot of the coaches do not want to be responsible for some child injury. You know what I mean? I, I think if you're a coach, that's the last thing you want to do is have somebody injured or a kid you know, in a fatal type of situation where you, you're, yeah, now you've got to explain to a parent that you, obviously your techniques are just out of bounds. You know what I mean? You own it. So I, I think a lot of it, to me, I think all the coaches are really, uh, they're under the micros- microscope already now. Um, so I don't know if this is a pre- precautionary method or is it a state-by-state basis, you know what I mean, in terms of uh, uh, data? Because I'm thinking if these three states feel so strongly about it, there's got to be issues uh, with some sort of, you know, concussion issues, CTs with certain young uh, groups. But – Maybe it's a matter of starting to look at, you know, case by case basis. But if, if you bring it up to a legislator, nine times out of 10, it's because something's either out of control or something needs to be coiled in. But I still think it starts at the level, like you're saying, Troy, it maybe needs to be privatized to the point where it needs to be oversighted that way, not so much on the government. Do you guys agree?
3: Ah uh, yeah, I'm right with that. You know, I think it's interesting like in Hawaii, they have leagues based upon your weight because they have a lot of Polynesians. And so, yeah, I think there's different things you could do, the education. Um I'm totally with Troy where, hey, you know what? There's a lot of things they could be doing besides trying to decide who plays tackle football. So, um
1: all right. I think you know what? Uh, the only thing the only reason I bring it up today is because you know, you you see the articles, right? here's the bad, horrible, this sport. I mean, Bob Costa says, you know, this is obviously a horrible sport. <laughs> I'm like, God, you're a broadcaster for, uh, at some point, you know, <laughs> anyways. But but my point is, at, the, at this point now, it's kind of like we're starting to cut off uh, the girls' increase in participation. You know what I mean? It's like now we're saying, oh, by the way, uh, the sport is horrible, and uh, even though the girls really want to play, we don't want them to play. You know what I mean? It's kind of like – You can't have it both ways. I think it's just if you bring in the awareness already, the awareness is already high. The level of CET awareness, I think is at a more extreme level than it's ever been. And, you know, Pierre mentioned that already. The fact that the coaches already take more extreme precautions, even in the OTAs, as Troy has mentioned before, that's also affected the game at the NFL level too because they're not doing like they used to do before. So it takes longer for them, even out of preseason, it still takes them like one or two weeks for them to get in the groove in terms of gameplay. So I just think my point of view is maybe, you know, research a little bit more before you start mandating all this stuff uh, in terms of, you know, at a certain level of youth. And I understand the precaution because as a parent, you know, you don't want to have your child get hurt and then all of a sudden it's caused because of football. But I think really it's the techniques that need to be readjusted, but, um, so I, I agree. I agree in the fact that they should not mandate anything until they do more research. So I, I'm in disagreement, basically.
3: Well, and they said the number two most dangerous sport for head injuries is cycling. Well, no one's talking about that, getting rid of cycling.
1: Cycling <laughs> so, bikes. I had bikes. Yeah. I, I ran into a pole. My dad said, "Get up." I know. That pole tougher than you are. <laughs> that's how I got. That's how I got my C T assessment. Get up. That's all uh, somebody right. you.
3: <laughs> hey, any of the girls on our team that had concussion concerns, always got them from soccer. So, you know, it depends on what's in the market right that's now. That's what
1: I'm saying. It's like I don't know if it's it's too extreme to mandate it. I think they're just going a little overboard in certain aspects, but you know, we all have yeah. we like I said, I don't have any I don't have any kids. You guys have kids. Troy's uh, got kids, so the approach is way different when you got children or you got your own kids to put in in that situation. But, you know, you played football, Troy's played football. I'm pretty sure, you know, when, as a parent, you're introducing the sport to them, you're also talking to them about safety and techniques and things to do that. So, you know, the parents still responsible for some aspect of precautions, but the coach, I think all the coaches now are probably more heightened than they were before in terms of making sure that that doesn't happen. So, um, all right, so uh, I'm in disagreement. Uh, Luis, well, you were on the fence on both sides, so are you going one way or the other?
3: Oh, I'm definitely saying too much oversight.
1: So you're in disagreement. Troy, are you in disagreement or in agreement?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm in disagreement.
1: Yeah. I, I just I, – I would think all of us are like, okay, so like like Tor's point, I think you better worry about environmental protection Water and <laughs> and air, than than uh, youth participation in in football. <laughs> I'm okay with that too.
3: I, I was going to ask Troy. Um, you know, when you play, when I since I got to play football for eight years, I just never occurred to me that it could be dangerous for my head, because maybe because of the position that I played, or I just had waited too long, and so I was definitely going to play. I didn't get a chance when I was younger. So I definitely think it's different, and you see a lot of NFL dads say, "Hey, I wouldn't change a thing," but no, I don't want my kid to play. And so, Troy, do you think that had yeah, do you fall in the same trap of, uh, well, I can play, but I don't want my kids to play? You know what? what you I, I
2: grapple with that. Um, I grapple with that because sometimes my, my, both, all three of my boys play football at one point or another, and the decision for me to Pull my middle son out of uh, football was simply because I didn't feel like he was getting the proper coaching. And so when he was going down to tackle, and I don't know if it was the coaching or he just wasn't listening and it wasn't being driven home, but when he would try to tackle, he would expose his neck and that scared me to death. And I told him, I said, listen, if I see you tackle like that one more time, I'm I'm sorry, man, I'm going to have to pull you out. And so we worked on it, we worked on it, we worked on it. And by the end of the, you know, the last game, well, the second to last game, he went out there and he started trying to tackle like that the same way. I, I had to pull him out there because it scared me to death. I just, and, and it just looked like at some point he might have hurt his neck. Now, I say that to sit back and say it, since it's become prevalent, you know, and, and, and out there in the public now, it's in so much, in so many people's eyes. Because you know what, when I was a kid, I tackled the same way. My head was out there, but as you said, I never thought about hurting my neck. So I just think, you know, part of it is the stigma, you know, with with you know everything that's going on with the CTE and things like that. But there's a small percentage of players that have it. But I just think that it's better left to someone else, just not the government. They again, they have better, they have bigger fish to fry.
1: Agreed. All right. So we'll leave it at that. I'm pretty sure the audience will have their, uh, their, uh, you know, perspectives on it too. And I've, i got a lot of feedback as well from some of the stuff that we posted on our Facebook page as well. So a lot of, you know, you're either on one side or the other, but uh, for different reasons, of course, and various reasons. All right. Um, we started the show by congratulating the, the gridiron West champion, uh, Perth blitz at the inaugural West bowl. And you can, guys can catch it the whole game on our Facebook page at Gridiron Beauties, 28-0, first split against the uh, Perth Broncos. And it was an awesome game. Uh, MVP was uh, quarterback Lou Devine. And uh, you had Nicole Harvey out there. You got Tegan Brown, Brittany Ware, and the whole squad out there in uh, Great Iron West. So, congratulations to the Perth Blitz on their championship, an inaugural championship. Um News out there is WFA schedules out for 2018. Some of the key key games that I was looking at. Let me get my notes here. Some of the key games I was looking at: uh, Boston Renegades against the talented Philly Phantoms. Looking forward to that matchup, Week One. Uh, the Division Two champion t- Tampa Bay Inferno will take on the Atlanta Enix, uh, which is a, d- a Division One, pretty stellar squad. The Dallas Elite will open up against their uh, uh, local rival, Austin Outlaws. And 29 games on the the schedule. So uh, you guys can go to WFAProFootball.com, WFAProFootball.com, or you can go to our Twitter feed or Facebook, and you can uh, get the link there to the site and see the schedule. So week one's going to be pretty exciting. Um, And I believe it starts on the, I believe, the 7th, April 7th, is when it kicks off for the WFA. Um, the Utah Falcons named uh, Sam Smith Mc- new president as uh, Heroku leaves. We talked about that last week, as well, but I just want to mention because I don't know if anybody knew, but uh, new leadership there, and that's going to vote well for them. Uh, Gridiron Victoria kicked off, opening kickoff weekend in Gridiron Victoria down in uh, Australia. The champion Croydon Rangers with uh, outstanding running back Bliss Love take care of the uh, Melton Wolves, 54-14. to That was an awesome game. Uh, the Wolves, obviously, uh, not at the level of the Rangers. So the champs, week one, come out pretty strong. And, Troy, we talked about the Rangers last year, very strong. They went up to the end. Uh, they made their mark. And so here they are, season opener 2018. And Gridiron Victoria season used to be in the winter, fall, September as well but they ended up moving it this the last year and this year. Now it starts right here. It goes through um, uh, February all the way through May, so it's pretty exciting. So uh, you can go to greatironvictoria.com or you can go to Great Iron Victoria on Facebook. So Rain, uh Rangers open up really strong with uh, Bliss Love, so 54 burner here against the Melton Wolves.
2: Yeah, I mean, dropping a lot of points out there when you, in your inaugural game. I mean, that's, that's what you want to have. So, you know, it bodes well for them going forward. They're going to get a lot of confidence, especially after that win.
1: you get the Northern Lady Raiders 56-6 to against the Monash Warriors, Warriors' brand-new team. Uh, keep in mind, last year's uh, champion, uh, Melbourne Uni Chargers, are not participating this year. Um, so it's, they kind of revamped the whole, the whole uh, uh, league. So uh, Northern Lady Raiders are usually the number two squad in this league. So they proved it. Obviously, week one, fifty-six to six. Um, so it was, you know, pretty exciting times there. Uh, week one in FFA France, uh, Chalin Feminin. It was uh, February third and fourth. It was the four games were canceled due to high weather, uh, thunderstorms, and all that stuff. So it did not happen. Uh, I got feedback from our network partners there, um, but we did have two games that were played. The Lions de Bordeaux, thirty-eight to zero against the Alpines. Thunder, the Paris Dragons, 32-8 to eight against the uh, Red Devils of Villapinti. Um, So that's pretty exciting. The slate there, week two is going to be March 17th through the 18th. You can catch uh, all the updates on our Facebook page at Great Iron Beauties, or you can go to Twitter as well at Great Iron Beauty. Um, the other league is FIFA Feminina in Spain. Uh, Barbara, Barbara, Rookies, 57-0 against Badalona Drac Girls. Uh, the Drac girls, unfortunately, have not won in two years, and they continue with the donuts So, Luis, it's got to be devastating. These girls have tried hard. They've put up some points in some games, but nothing at a level of these other teams that they're playing with. So, uh, emotionally, it's got to be crushing for uh, their 0-3 now in the season, uh, and they haven't won a game in two years. So, I don't know how you, know, you muster up a, to come up week to week.
3: You set your goals, you change your goals differently. Your goals aren't about winning all the time. I mean, I started my career never winning a game, and I ended my career by never losing the last three years. So your goals just become different. I remember when we were not winning, I still just loved it, and I just thought, okay, we're going to get these many first downs or we're going to score a point this time. And so um, winning becomes a different, uh, different definition. And I think those girls that are playing probably just love the sport. And, yeah, it's frustrating. And and sometimes you might think, is this worth it? But it was always worth it to me. And then something good will happen if you keep at it.
1: All right. The next battle, Teresa Girls, which is the runner-up to the Barbera rookies from last year. These girls are hungry and starting the season really hot. Week one, they, they took care of business. This past week, they edged. Barcelona Buffaloes 13 to 12, so it's a one point game. Uh, so one big play difference there. Uh, Barcelona has been pretty much a staple in this league as well. Uh, but Teresa Reds 2 and 0 on the season. Bar- Barbera rookies 2 and 0. So uh, Troy get one point win. That's gotta you know Barcelona's gotta like oh my god, dang it, you know because they were coming in here 0 and 1, and now they're pretty much one. I mean 1 and 0 now they're 1 and 1. So uh, they they you know they get edged, but uh, Teresa's got to be happy. They're two and zero, and they're looking they're eyeing to get back to the title game. I mean,
2: anytime you lose a close game, you look at you can look at it one or two ways. You can say, you know, um, we missed some things here or there, or, or you know the other team just got it. You know they just made the plays when they needed to. But either way, it's like you look at it like you can always improve on it. So, you know, a one-point loss, people used to sit back and say, would you rather lose by one point or would you rather get blown out? I'm always going to pick one point. I just think you can learn much more from that, even if it is like the last game of the season. But luckily they got more games to play after this.
1: Big defensive game in this matchup uh, from what I gather from the from the players and from the other. This, this is a real battle, 13-12. to 12, So defensive game right here pretty well. So that was good. Uh, week 2 MVP from uh, FIFA – LNFA Femenina with Sandra Burnell out of the Barcelona Buffaloes. Pretty awesome and impressive. Um, And they um, basically, LNFA Femenina chooses MVPs after each week. um, And based on that from coaches and feedback and all that from from the weekend. So Sandra Burnell of Barcelona Buffaloes gets week two MVP honors. Um, So offensively. Uh, LFL announces the official poster, Guts and Glory. That's being announced. That's featuring Chris Del Harris, Dakota Hughes, KK Matheny, and other stars. So check it out uh, on our Facebook page as well. It's announced it. Um, The LFB Cancun, the All-Star Game just got announced. Their season just ended. The Lipsticks won last uh, weekend. So you can actually catch the uh, championship uh, um, video on our Facebook page as well. And so the All-Star Game for LFB Cancun is going to be February 18th. It's going to be live and going to be televised exclusively on SIPSE TV, S-I-P-S-E, SIPSE TV in Cancun. It'll be North and South uh, taking on that. And congratulations to the president there itself, Servine. an amazing job she's done to create this league and get it up and running and get press, plus get uh, live TV coverage. Um, So hats off to her. She's done a tremendous job in that league out there in Mexico. Um, The WWCFL Regina Riot. Within the news, you can catch the article on our Facebook page as well at Great Iron Beauties, and they're getting ready to defend their title uh, in the WWCFL coming up in in May here. Uh, We talked about the Blitz here. Utah Girls Tackle Football is taking registrations. You can go to utahgirlstackle.com, utahgirlstackle.com. You can also uh, get the link on our Facebook page at Great Iron Beauties as well. And we haven't talked about the uh, Liga Valenciana, uh, Valencia, the football americano, the Valencia team over in Spain. It's the other league. Um, it, it's consisted of the it consists of the Alicante Sharks, the La Rosa Black Demons, the Valencia Fire uh, Bats, the Barbera Rookies B Squad. The Barbera Rookies in Spain are like sort of like the Utah Falcons in the roster. They have like over hundred players, so they have to divide the team in two. They have the main squad on both the men and the women, so that's impressive. Anyways, uh, Barbera Rookies B Squad plays in the LVFA versus the uh, Barbera Rookies Senior Women's Club that plays in the LNFA Femenina, and then La Granada Alliance, so we'll give you updated on the results this past weekend, as well on our Facebook, uh, Facebook page as well, and then Hado Italia had the interview with Nausicaa Del Orto, um, so you can catch that article as well on our Facebook page. So anything you want that is women's American football, uh, we try to stay up to date with our network partners and uh, thank all our network partners for supplying us the information, the links, the articles. Uh, Ross Crawford out there, you can check the uh, interviews he's been doing with women's football players all over the world as well. And then also, if you haven't catch uh, Coach Anthony Stone's uh, podcast, uh, we always link it up on our uh, Facebook page and also on our Twitter feed. So interesting uh, insights there with coaches. He interviews coaches weekly, so take a look at that. And you can also follow J.C. Uh, Hawks Sports Radio for the other shows that they have as well. So uh, just elevating the game of women's football right there, so based on our network and everything else. And we have uh, great news. Uh, add us on Snapchat. Uh, this past week we had Lovey Tovar and Phoebe Sketzer on our Snapchat. So if you haven't added us on Snapchat at Gridiron Beauty, go ahead and do it. Uh, Lovey is re- uh, recovering from ACL um, that she tore up in her soccer season. So she had surgery. She's uh, recovering really well from what we hear from her, uh, from her parent and herself. So uh, we want to say, uh, you know, keep it going. Rehab's coming. So it's going to be just a little bit of delay. And then we're also excited to announce Savannah Melton did get accepted full scholarship for soccer at Harding University. And she's thinking probably going to try out for the football kicking squad as well. So congratulations to Savannah out there for her efforts. And we can't forget BAFA Women. If you guys haven't checked it out, BAFA Women is in season. Uh, double coverage, dblcoverage.com. Exclusive coverage of the BAFA Women um, Sapphire 2018 series. Week two results. We will post them on our Facebook page as well. And as soon as the articles uh, on the recaps are uh, coming up, we will post those there. So, uh, Louise, this is what we do, and this is what we cover. And there is women that play American football at a high level, all over the globe.
3: It's pretty awesome.
1: It's way awesome. Uh, it's just uh, people don't realize it. Um, I I don't think you I think you probably listened to my show before, but I've had people direct message me and tell me, uh, you know, how do you make all this stuff up? Because they can't believe that this stuff is real. So I don't make that stuff up. I don't have enough time to make all this stuff up. So, but you know, a lot of people assume that I just don't sleep. Uh, I know BJ Coletta thinks I don't sleep, but I do sleep, by the way. I do get good sleep. Uh, But you know, Troy has been with me for a couple of years now. Troy, are you blown away at the fact that not just in the States, not just in North America, but even in the little Island of Guam, we have women's American football. Isn't that awesome?
2: You know I'm not even surprised by it anymore, um, so I mean every time you know we get on the air, it seems like we're here another you know country is has women's football, and it's, it's
3: just astounding
2: every time you think about it. I mean just you know all of these countries all over the world have women's football, so you know again that boasts, that always bodes
1: well for the for the future of women's football and I'm blown away. Morocco is going to kick off. This year, uh, they're just trying to get gear and support and everything else. But Morocco's in the mix. Brazil has been in the mix for three years, and we hadn't covered Brazil until this year because we didn't have a reliable contact uh, to get us some sort, you know, information and sources. Um, Guam is coming back. The Bud Light uh, uh, Guam Women's Football Tackle Football League as well. Um, just I don't know. It just it seems like it. This is just it, this is the normal now for us, but. I have people that come to our – here's the criticism. Why do we cover the Legends Football League? We cover the Legends Football League because it, it is a draw-in to, to kind of expose and give you the real reality of that women do play uh, NFL-style football. They come in to draw in for the attention of the Legends Football League, and then they kind of realize, wow, there's 80%, 80% of women play NFL-style globally. Not just in, uh, you know, in the States, not in North America, but globally. So the percentage of Legend-style play is only like, what, 10% compared to 90%. So since I started covering in 2009, it has gone huge. You know what I mean? Huge. So now it's like worldwide even more. So uh, that's, that's where we're at. That's the hub. You go to Great Iron Beauty on Facebook. You go to Great Iron Beauty on Twitter. Uh, and you can get the latest updates every day uh, and weekly on Facebook and daily on Twitter. So, uh, you yeah, guys, I don't know. But it's, just, it's From 2009 to now, it's 2018 now. Huge strides. This, this game is blowing up. This is, like, huge. It's blowing up. All we need is coverage, uh, a little support that way. But you guys saw the coverage of the Gridiron West uh, Championship. This is, that's the kind of stuff that we need in the States. I don't know why it doesn't happen, but they put up a live stream of the three, uh, the three championships, the men's, the juniors and the women's. It was, I thought it was done really well broadcast wise. And so, I I mean, that's what we're lacking here in the States to get the word out. Uh, And I was, you know, so hats off to Gridiron West out there in the Australia um, federations for doing a great job on the live streams and putting out the, the products out there.
3: Yeah, I thought it was actually really good, and I thought the game – I had never seen nine-on-nine, and I just thought the game was well-played and um, a little different because I hadn't seen nine-on-nine. But, uh, yeah, the quality of the stream was off.
1: Yeah, Troy, you've seen a lot of streams out there from Australia, so it's pretty quality. Just just to think that we can't do it here in the States is just kind of a shame.
2: Yeah, I mean – I did hear that the NFL is kind of teaming with the CFL to get the, um, to get women's football up in Canada. And, you know, so I think that may be uh, part of what they want to do there. I mean, they're partnering with the CFL. Maybe they can start doing the same thing here um, locally, but I guess it would always come down to um, who's going to get the the funding, who's going to get the help. I guess that may be part of the issue. Is it going to be, give it to one league and another league sits back and says, well, how come you aren't fun to me? Maybe that might be the issue. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, you know, I'm hoping it does happen in the future and they we find some kind of common ground and get done because these ladies definitely need the help. And it would be great if the NFL would get involved, especially with all their resources.
1: All right. Um, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us right here on Black Talk Radio. Uh, you can download over 200 episodes that we've interviewed uh, athletes, coaches, just about everybody in the women's uh, Grey Iron Games, include, including in the U.S. and Canada and in Mexico. Go to uh, subscribe to our uh, Apple podcast. You get the link on our Facebook page as well. And don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have over 1,000 shared videos of women playing American football globally. So check out our YouTube channel, subscribe there. You can check out and kind of do the highlight reels Check out our playlist as well. You could, you'll be surprised and amazed. Uh, from Canada, Mexico, Europe, pretty much everywhere, there's women playing American football, so it's awesome. And don't forget, 20% off, up to 20% off at our Zazzle shop every day. Use the daily codes. You can do Zazzle Black for $9.95. And you get free shipping here in the States for free. So uh, support our project. Uh, spotlight another uh, talented athlete. And you can get some great deal on Zazzle.com. So, Luis, uh, Troy, it's been pretty awesome. We had Pierre Migner. Uh, uh, thanks for coming in and helping us out and kind of shedding some light on what's happening in the sport in Canada and with the Montreal Blitz. And hopefully they will be successful to get, up the, uh, get the league up and running there in Ottawa as well as Montreal and Quebec. And so we'll be covering them as well once they get rolling as into the season. We're looking forward to the WWCFL, the, w- the WFA, the IWFL as well. And we'll be covering – Everything internationally, which is the FFFA, the uh, LNFA Feminina, as well as BAFA women uh, international scene there. Um, So we'll cover it all. So just uh, check us out on Facebook and on Twitter. So, uh, guys, I think that does it pretty much. Great uh, great time having um, Coach Migner here uh, expressing his uh, love for football. Yeah,
2: great show. Glad he came came aboard. You know, shed some light on some things going on, um, you know, from the former WFA. So, thanks for the coach to come on.
3: Yes, thank you very much.
1: All right, guys, I'll catch you here next week. uh, For Louise Bean and Troy Wilson, look forward to the return of Holly Custis, WFA All-Star, next weekend on our podcast. So, check out our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And we'll, we should be able to get Holly in here next week and uh, talk more football. And she's getting ready for the season. So, it's going to be awesome to talk about how Majestics are doing, too. So, thanks, everybody. Uh, catch you here next week. Subscribe to our podcast and check out on Great Iron Beauties at Great Arm Beauties on Facebook. Have a great night, everybody.
3: Good night.